Welcome once again to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and the future of the next generation. I am your host, Trey McKnight. I'm excited that in this season of the podcast, we're interviewing some of the speakers we're hosting at Orange Conference 2022, and it's coming this April. We're gonna talk about what it means to be human and how our churches can better care for the humans in our communities. And we are so excited for you to get to hear this conversation with our very own Kristen Ivey and our guest, Danielle Strickland. Danielle loves Jesus and she loves people. Her aggressive compassion has loved people firsthand in countries all over the world where she has embraced and learned from and exhorted individuals and crowds to surrender to the boundless love of Jesus. She sought to cultivate authentic Christian community in deprived neighborhoods. Danielle is the author of several books. She's married and she's the mother of three boys and one of the smartest people I've ever had the honor of learning from. And I can't wait for you to get to hear from her right now. So without further ado, here we go. Our conversation between Kristen Ivey and Danielle Strickland. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night, and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic, and innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com. Danielle, we're so excited to have this conversation with you about, uh, you're going to be at Orange Conference coming up. Yeah. Yes, I am. I can't wait. Yeah. We can't wait to be in the same room together again. Yes. Um, way too long since that's happened. And you've been talking a lot about the idea of be human. And so I'd love to start there because be human is our theme. Well, I think uh, many years ago, I actually, when The Walking Dead was a big deal, I think there's a resurgence now, but I wrote a book uh, called The Zombie Gospel on that phenomenon of the zombie genre and the, you know, the popularity of The Walking Dead. And the subtitle was How the Walking Dead Taught Me to Be Human. And the idea around it, and I think really like I was really almost dared into watching The Walking Dead because I was like, just what we need, like more death in our culture, you know, like, and, um, and my friend was like, oh, nice, like you haven't even watched an episode. And so I remember putting like my earphones in and watching it on my laptop late at night so I wouldn't contaminate any of my family members. And, um, and then what happened really was I heard a cry. I think is how I would describe, I heard a cry of a culture that is asking some questions about what it means to be human and what being a human really means and how we could be human together. And I think what we see sort of in, and I, and ever since that Walking Dead, I feel like you see this everywhere now. Like it kind of became just such a mainstream question and cry of, are we just animals given over to our 
you know, every whim and desire uncontrollable beasts? <laughs> or, you know, are we meant to be these angels who have no, you know, no drives or no connection or even autonomous beings who can function by themselves? Or is there an, an, an alternative? And so I think for me, that kind of was the first awakening. Like I was like, oh, this is like not just a good question. This might be the essential question of, you know, what does it mean to be human? Like this, we're talking about like a foundational level of existence, right? Like these like core questions um, that interestingly enough were asked and answered when the Israelites in, in theological terms, you know, the Genesis account that they suggest was written by Moses when the Israelites were really struggling with their identity and really believing in their captivity that they were created according to the Babylonian myth of creation, which was you were created to serve Pharaoh. So that's kind of where like humans began to believe in this idea of uh, a hierarchy of of value and things like that. And Moses sort of in the midst of that, God breathed this origin story of sacred essence of what it means to be human is to reflect God. And that, you know, that magio deo of humanity, that humanity has something sacred embedded inside of us to actually live out in real life and with each other and with the rest of the created order. That is still, I think in today's world, the most revolutionary idea ever. And I think this generation struggles with a different kind of slavery and a de-evaluation like a, uh, of them, a commodification even of their existence. And so it's almost like I think there needs to be this rediscovery of this revolutionary idea that to be human is to be made uh, in God's image, but it has a complex beauty that's a part of it. Right. I think when I was going through uh, college, I was a little bit in the sciences, biology, and a lot in the life science, uh, the lit. Uh, I did literature and taught English for a little while. And I remember in the um, literature side of my studies that some of my professors said that all good art is really a study in what it means to be human. Mm. Every good painter is trying to paint some expression that helps us understand our own humanity and what does it mean to be human in the world. And every writers wrestling through what does it mean to be human in the world every poet uh, every songwriter there's something that drives the artist to create into that space as going this is my expression of how i see humanity at work um and what a unique kind of perspective i think for the church to even begin to embody some of that and represent that how do you feel like the church processes and wrestles with the complexity of what it means to be human well, you know, I think there's a lot to be said in this area, but I would say that one of the things is that a lot of times the church conversation, this is like one of those one of those topics where we talk about like how the church is answering questions nobody's asking <laughs> a lot of times. So I think a lot of times the church conversation is all around behavior, you know, so it's all almost like behavior modification sort of points of pain in that region of things. But actually the question of what it means to be human is like way below that. It's like an it's an essence question. It's an origin question. So I think sometimes the church is scared to go that deep because we're all stuck with like judging one another about like our political beliefs or like all these. And we don't realize that all of these things, actually, these culture wars, these polemic behaviors, like all of these things are actually rooted in a much deeper place about like what it means to be human. So I think sometimes the church just misses this question. They just miss this question because they're not um, 
they're not hearing it and they're not they're not going deep enough in the revolutionary uh, God, <laughs> that God is always going after this question, which is why the Bible never shies away from the humanness of its subjects. And even when we think about like the way the Bible was written, inspired by God, and yet fraught with people's attitudes and ideas and contradictions and storytelling and like all these things. And sometimes like, again, we would fight about like what that means on a surface level instead of going down to the depths of this means humans wrote this inspired by God. This means like this beautiful grand design of partnership where God has breathed us to represent him and to work with him, like this essence of who we are. So I think the church struggles to even just get down there deep enough to the the question that's actually really at the root of all the other questions. Because once you get to that question, all these other questions of behavior, they're really just like, they're exactly what they should be. They're just shallow, you know, unimportant questions. Like we can get along if we understand that the essence of humanity is the sacred uh, calling, you know, the sacred design. Uh, because what comes out of that is this like, you know, deep respect and co-honoring of one another in terms of the purpose God has for us. So I think we miss it. So that's the big one. I think the church misses it. And then I think sometimes, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I actually think we don't believe it. Hmm. I think we don't believe it. And uh, this gets a little controversial. So I don't know. I know Orange is like up for it, maybe. I don't know. But I take full responsibility for this. But I think we've been suckered in in the last hundred years to what I call a theology of despair. And what I mean by this is we've taken a doctrine of depravity and we've like made it into something it never was meant to be. So that what it has done is convinced an entire generation that they are not worthy, that they are not sacred, that they are born bad. And then not only do they see themselves that way, but that's the lens by which they have looking at all of humanity that way. And it breeds this theology of despair that ends up devaluing our humanness. And what an antithesis to what you see in the person of Jesus. I find that I'm struck again and again and again, reading the Gospels, going, Jesus elevated and honored something of our humanity to the level that it moved him to compassion, it moved him to tears, it moved him to levels and layers of, of human emotion as he engaged with what I love what you were saying a minute ago when you said it is the humanity that drives us deeper in our theology. Mm-hmm. Where I think for a long time, you know, I might have made the mistake of believing that our humanity was the surface level, the shallow end, right? And then the more you study God, the deeper you go. When everything in the Gospels seems to suggest that Jesus was driving our theology deeper by connecting it deeper and deeper and deeper into the essence of our humanity. It's one of the reasons, you know, Reggie and I sometimes joke with each other, you know, which one is is greater, the, uh, you know, Christmas story or the Easter story? And, you know, it's kind of a nonsensical question, right? I mean, you really can't separate one from the other. But at the same time, we're kind of recording this right here at Christmas. And so... I have to say, I, there's something about the Christmas narrative where creator God becomes human. Yeah. 
But Kristen, here's the thing. So like I interviewed a guy named uh, Dr. Daryl Johnson, who's a theologian from Regent College and um, and uh, on a podcast series that I did called Mind Blown, which were spiritual truths people have pondered and figured out and are still going like, whoa. And I asked him what were his, he's a New Testament scholar. And I said to him, what was his, you know, what was his? And he actually, one of the ones he talked about was the Philippians passage. So this is, a, this is actually right on point with what you're talking about, because I believe that Jesus became human my whole life because he had to, like he was duty bound because I felt like I, I, the Trinity was drawing straws. He just got the small stick and was like nuts. Like, and I used to read that, even like that revelation passage, like who will go, you know, who the seals are stuck and the Jesus is like, all right, I'll go, you know, and it's just like this you know, nuts, like it had to be him. And I think I viewed that the whole time because I think we view Jesus through this lens of he had to be human. Like it was this like curse that was upon him to be human. But then uh, Daryl Johnson said to me, you know, that Philippians 2 passage, which talks about the kenosis, the emptying of God, the self-giving love of God. And it just says, uh, so we've read it. And he said, in your Bible, you will read it this way. It will say, even though Jesus was God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but like letting go, he became human. So we always talk about that, this self-emptying love of God. And he said, but what was really mind-blowing for him is when he actually studied the Greek, he said, the Greek does not say, even though Jesus was God, it says, because Jesus was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the form, even the form of a human. So then fast forward, Jesus becomes human on purpose, out loud, angelic hosts are announcing this, like prophetic words have been saying this. This isn't like nuts, I've got to do this. This is like for the joy set before him, Jesus actually did this work. Uh, Jesus's favorite description of himself this is like mind blowing. So Jesus goes around the world. He's the cosmic Christ, right? Like he is the one above King of Kings, Prince of Peace. He's fully divine. But his favorite title for himself is the son of man all through scripture. And the son of man is literally translated the human one. So I always imagine like meeting Jesus and Jesus going, hello, I'm Jesus, I'm human. You know, hello, I'm Jesus, I'm human, I'm Jesus, I'm human. And like Jesus had no problem being human. It was for joy. It was because he was God, he embraced this. And again, this is this like calling. And I often say this, like Jesus isn't an exception. He's a prototype of humanity, the new humanity. This is what humans were called to be. Christ is what humans were called to be. And so he's unashamed of that. This is, it's not, uh, he's not ashamed of this. And we see this even his ability to emote, you know, incarnate physical touch and embracing the physical condition and even its limitations and weeping, you know, like all of these human things that he was a part of and embraced, not because he had to, but because this was a great joy. We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents, and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. 
To start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. One of the things that I get excited about when I'm listening to you talk about this, I think how the leaders who come to Orange and continue with Orange and who we get to be a part of, you know, connecting with their ministries all year long. And I think the leaders who may be most in touch with this are oftentimes those working with kids and teenagers, because you can't stray too far from humanity when you're working with four-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> 11, 12 year olds are like, no, I got, I, I got, I'm in touch with humanity, like <laughs> maybe a little too much. Um, and so I love that we get to have this conversation with leaders who are working, you know, with kids and teenagers and going, no, day in and day out, I see, you know, all of the complexity of our humanity on the line and laid out in front of us and go, you know, where does this come together? And so I, I'd love to hear from you when you think about you know, Jesus, the human one, and now Jesus is the prototype for a new humanity. How do you find hope for a generation and the church right now when you think about that idea? I feel like, you know, some of my hope comes from unlikely places. It usually comes from working with people like children or marginalized people have the same capacity to just tell the truth. You know, to just tell the truth. And um, because it's the it's where we get to the truth, that's where actually there's power. That's where there's possibility. That's where there's transformation. You know, that's where everything begins. So I feel like if if we could embrace that, so, so I don't know, but leaders seem to be stuck in this, what I would call Hercules syndrome, which is just this upward ascension, which we always have to be performing and we have to be better and everything has to be bigger and we're up, everything has to, we have to be climbing, which I'm always saying, you know, that is a pagan idea of leadership. It's Hercules who ascends, who's not even real, he's a myth. And the whole premise of his life is he's trying to prove himself worthy to the gods. Jesus, on the other hand, is descending and assuming the human form because he already knows he's worthy and it's out of that worthiness. So I feel like if ever there could, like my hope is rooted in this, I want my kids, which I tell them all the time, to serve God out of the overflow of worthiness out of the embedded sacredness that is within them, to understand that God has created them with purpose and capacity and gifts and that those gifts can be released through the person of Jesus. And that's always what that was for, but that none of that can happen without realness, without truth, without like being who it is that we really are in all of its limitations, you know, that that actually, that's all part of the plan. So that's the thing I tell my kids is that they were created and designed by a God who sees them as beautiful with all the capacity and all the gifts that they can use and that their best lives, their best selves are found in the person of Jesus because he can help them experience that and live that out on a day-to-day -day basis. But they cannot experience that if they're not willing to be themselves. <laughs> like themselves are the gift to the world, who they are, not just what they do or what their capacity is, but who they are is the gift. And you know this as a parent, I mean, you know this, that who they are is the gift to you, not what they do necessarily or don't do or whatever those things are all pain points sometimes in your life, but really who they are is what you most love. And that's how God sees us. And I think if we got that, if we took the lens of despair off the way we even think God sees us, we could actually translate that as seeing ourselves through that lens and then seeing other people through that lens.
What an incredible picture. I was just this week out. Uh, I took my six-year-old out just one-on-one. Sometimes it's fun to have different conversations together. And she asked me the most interesting question. She said, mom, if you could change something about the world, what would you change? And at first I was like, what a big question for a six-year-old. Well, I was right. hard. And then I don't know if it, why I went here in my head, but I thought, I think if there was one thing, it would be for every person in the world to know they are loved. Mm-hmm. A deep, deep, deep foundational level that feels so real to them that it would never be questioned. It would never be, you know, you'd never have to wonder about it. You'd never have to feel insecure about it. You'd never have to try to prove your worth for it. And if that's something that came into my mind and, you know, as flawed of a person as I am, I, I just, the, the next thought I had was, how much more must that be what God desires for us? Mm-hmm. And that's the hope that we have, that we embrace this humanity that we have, image of God and complex, complex beings that we are. Um, so I get excited about this message for all of those same reasons. It's what feels like hope uh, in my own family. Um, and even the senior leaders who sometimes struggle trying to meet the demands of what maybe feels like it's projected on them. To try. Yeah. Or a system that's designed that way, right? We keep designing systems, even youth pastors and stuff. We keep designing systems where we're the, we're the solution, mm-hmm. like this solo <laughs> act that can solve all the problems. And we don't realize that part of what it means to be human is to uh, be together is to need each other. And that's part of our limitations was a great design to actually, I mean, even Jesus models this is amazing. Like, I need you to pray with me, he says to the disciples. <laughs> Could you, would you just pray with me? Could you be with me? Could you come with me? I need to rest. I need to wake. I need to, you know, I need to go. I need to be, I need to eat. Uh, he's always expressing his need without any apology because he's human. And he's not ashamed. So I think like, I think all the ways, right? Like, and then his authority, one of the best acts Jesus ever does is take uh, off his rabbinical robe and take up a servant's towel. And the scripture literally says before he does that, he says, because he knew who he was and where he was going, he took off this. And I think that's exactly that desire. If people really knew who they were, they could take off whatever it is Hercules wrote they're holding or whatever thing they're pretending and actually take up a servant's towel and just get to work because we're not trying to prove anything. We're, we're living out of our sense of, of being loved, of being sacred, of being called, of being gods. I think, yeah, I think being human's awesome. I like it. I love that you land with this idea that part of our humanity is that we need each other because I cannot wait to be in an arena again with mm. all the humans that come in and <laughs> going, hey, we're really from this, these years of ministry, we're committed to continuing to live this out. We bring all of our humanity and we need each other. And yeah. maybe like never before, I know I need it. I need the connection. Uh, I need to look out across, you know, the rows of people and go, we need do this together and that Uh is the greatest honor uh, that we could ever have that we see each other in the work and uh, that we need each other the way that you're saying so I'm excited about conference about be human and especially about the idea uh, that we have an opportunity to be together and be together with you Danielle so 
Yeah, I'm excited too to be human together. Let's do it. It'll be fun. This April, we'll be there. So thank you for this conversation and um, for all that we're uh, continuing to talk about and dream about as we get closer and closer to the arena this April. Bless you guys. Danielle will not disappoint one of the smartest voices you will hear from. Uh, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Now, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation, you got some kind of value and wisdom out of it, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. I love this review by Luke. He said, there's great content in this podcast for many aspects of leadership and soaking up what it means to be orange. This is a good weekly dose. Much of what's discussed is well thought out and can be applied on many levels of church size and growth. Luke, thank you so much for your review. Now, we cannot wait for you to join us at Orange Conference 2022. And I can tell you right now, you don't want to miss it. You've got to be there for the conversation so that we can continue learning what it means to be human together. So if you want to be there with us, go to theorangeconference.com and save your seat right there for an Orange Conference like you've never seen before. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast. 